January 16th. And now as we turn our attention to the reading of the New Testament, our narrative today will come from the book of Matthew, chapter 11, verses 7 through 30. And here in chapter 11 of Matthew, we find that John the Baptist was perplexed and perhaps discouraged. You know, sometimes we think of Bible characters as superhuman or super holy, but no, they were men and women just like you and me. John the Baptist, the greatest man born of woman, was discouraged. Now, he had served God faithfully and yet was in prison. His work was ended and he was not sure that Jesus was ministering in the right way. When you find yourself in a similar situation, do what John did. Tell it to Jesus and wait for his word. John's disciples did not hear Jesus praise their leader. John was not a compromiser or a celebrity. He was God's greatest prophet. John was in prison because of a cruel king and a crowd that was childish instead of childlike. Leave the judgment to the Lord and wait for Him to fulfill His perfect plan. You may think you've failed, but God will see to it that your work is blessed. Thank you, Lord. In fact, John won people to Jesus long after He was dead and buried. Surrender to Christ's loving yoke and you will experience His perfect rest. And with that, let's begin our reading today, here in the New Testament. January 16th, Matthew chapter 11, verses 7 through 30. When John's disciples had gone, Jesus began talking about him to the crowds. Who is this man in the wilderness that you went out to see? Did you find him weak as a reed, moved by every breath of wind? Or were you expecting to see a man dressed in expensive clothes? Those who dress like that live in palaces, not out in the wilderness. Were you looking for a prophet? Yes, and he is more than a prophet. John is the man to whom the scriptures refer when they say, Look, I am sending my messenger before you, and he will prepare your way before you. I assure you, of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. Yet even the most insignificant person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he is. And from the time John the Baptist began preaching and baptizing until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing, and violent people attack it. For before John came, all the teachings of the scriptures looked forward to this present time. And if you are willing to accept what I say, he is Elijah, the one the prophet said would come. Anyone who is willing to hear should listen and understand. How shall I describe this generation? These people are like a group of children playing a game in the public square. They complain to their friends, We played wedding songs, and you weren't happy. So we played funeral songs, but you weren't sad. For John the Baptist didn't drink wine, and he often fasted, and you say, He's demon-possessed. And I the Son of Man, feast and drink. And you say, He is a glutton and a drunkard, and a friend of the worst sort of sinners. But wisdom is shown to be right by what results from it. Then Jesus began to denounce the cities, where He had done most of His miracles, because they hadn't turned from their sins and turned to God. What horrors await you, Chorazin and Bethsaida! 
For if the miracles I did in you had been done in wicked Tyre and Sidon, their people would have said in deep repentance long ago, clothed in sackcloth and throwing ashes on their heads to show their remorse. I assure you, Tyre and Sidon will be better off on the judgment day than you. And you people of Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? No, you will be brought down to the place of the dead. For if the miracles I did for you had been done in Sodom, it would still be here today. I assure you, Sodom will be better off on the judgment day than you. Then Jesus prayed this prayer. O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding the truth from those who think themselves so wise and clever, and for revealing it to the childlike. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. My Father has given me authority over everything. No one really knows the Son except the Father, and no one really knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke fits perfectly, and the burden I give you is light. When we find the current voice, we get in the current of His presence. And so this is very important for us, not just collectively, but individually. You will find in your life that your life will find a ease in the current speaking what does that mean that means if you hear the lord and give time and attention to his voice his voice will come in like breath from heaven and grab you and take you and fulfill its own purposes when i go different places and i preach and i get to meet a lot of the body of christ especially in europe even Spanish countries and all over the U.S. People ask me, what's the main thing that you see in the body of Christ in different regions of the world? Do you want to know that answer? I find that a lot of the church is miserable. What do you mean? They're not happy. They're not full of joy. They're not bursting on the inside with an eternal life that spews out of them. Most of them are dragging their way through, trying their best to grip a cross, grit their teeth, and do their best to obey black and white. That's the majority of Christianity. But to talk about the actual infusion from the Spirit that makes a man burst with joy and burst with peace and love effortless in life. This is few and far between. In Galatians, we see Paul talking to them about a result of the presence of God. It's in chapter 5. He says, the fruit of of the Spirit. No, you just said the result of the presence of God. Well, the fruit of the Spirit is the result of the presence of God. The Spirit is God's presence, and the fruit is the result of God's Spirit. So as we receive the Spirit, then the Spirit is able to quicken and be God.
God's nature through you. I want you to notice something. It doesn't say the fruits of the Spirit. It says the fruit of the Spirit. In other words, His character and his nature begins to fully come out of the one who gives attention to his presence. The presence of God is genuine spirituality. It's genuine Christianity. You take out the presence of God and all you've got left is an idea. I know many people that are so loyal to their idea of God. But to say they experience God, is a, that, that's a whole nother ballgame. You can tell someone who has the presence of God in their life by the mark of joy. Why? Because the Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Guys, I grew up in the church. I literally, my dad was a pastor all my life. He's still one to this day. I went to Christian school. I went to Sunday school. I heard the gospel every week on Wednesday night, on Sunday morning. I knew all the pastors. I was in the mix of churchianity all of my life. But I did not know God. I could have told you what the gospel was. I could have told you different things about the Bible. Again, I went to Christian school. I learned the Bible, but I did not meet God. And I fear that the majority of people that I get to meet around the world, they know about God, but they don't know God. When Jesus manifested himself to me, everything switched. It was as if my ears started to hear and my eyes started to see and my ability to perceive since God came alive. First John 5, 12 says this. He who has the son has life. Say life. He who has the Son has life. He who has not the Son has not life. I want you to say again, life. Now this is the same word that is used when the Bible says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son so that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So you see that there's something about this life that is very important. If God sent his son to give you this life, then it's very important. And he who has the son has this life. Whoever does not have the son does not have this life. If you turn to John 10 verse 10, Jesus says, I have come to give you life. There's something about this L-I-F-E, this life that is very important. And it's this, okay? The ability to perceive God is impossible without it. In other words, if you took a dead man and you laid him on the ground and you started to speak into his ear, can he hear you? He cannot hear you because there's no life in the ear. You can wave in front of him, open up his dead eye and wave in front of him. He's not going to see you because there's no life in the eye. The seeing of the eye is because of life in the eye. 
you take the life out, it cannot see. To know God means you have an experience, not had an experience, but have an ongoing experience of Him. That's why life was given to you, so that you could experience and live by a continuous experience of this wonderful, matchless Savior who's a lover beyond all lovers, who's more kind than anybody you have ever met, whose very presence fulfills every ounce of your being, whose voice puts to death all the passions of your soul. I'm telling you right now, it is Jesus and Jesus alone that can make a man like himself from experiencing him. If you were to turn to John 17, verse 3, you would see that the Bible says, Jesus says, this is eternal life, to know him. So this is the essence of what he came to give you, the ability to be able to experience him and then from that, from that experience of him to come to know him. If we miss it here, it don't matter how good you got it on the outside. It doesn't matter if your church attendance is perfect, if you got your Bible scholarship up on the wall, and you got your, your lingo is all correct. If there's no experience knowing God, then you don't have a life. Because life itself gives you the ability to trust. Psalm 14, verses 1 through 7. The contrast is between the generation of the wicked and the generation of the righteous, as we shall see here in this psalm. The latter group is made up of those who have trusted the Lord and seek Him and His will. The generation of the wicked is composed of people who are practical atheists. God is not in their hearts, no matter what they may say or do outwardly. They can live without God. They disobey God and exploit people made in the image of God. They are, in fact, corrupt, and so they do corrupt things. The generation of the righteous calls on the Lord, and He answers. God dwells with these people. He protects them and gives them joyful hope. The group may not be large, but it is precious to God and the future of God's program rests with it. Of which group are you a member? Have you made your allegiance known? Psalm 14, verses 1-7 through For the choir director, a psalm of David. Only fools say in their hearts, There is no God. They are corrupt, and their actions are evil. No one does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the entire human race. He looks to see if there is even one with real understanding, one who seeks for God. But no, all have turned away from God. All have become corrupt. No one does good, not even one. Will those who do evil never learn? They eat up my people like bread. They wouldn't think of praying to the Lord. 
terror will grip them. For God is with those who obey Him. The wicked frustrate the plans of the oppressed, but the Lord will protect His people. Oh, that salvation would come from Mount Zion to rescue Israel! For when the Lord restores His people, Jacob will shout with joy, and Israel will rejoice. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 19 and 20 By wisdom the Lord founded the earth, by understanding He established the heavens. By His knowledge the deep fountains of the earth burst forth, and the clouds poured down rain.